0: Hello.
1: Hello, sailor.
0: <laughs> we're back to the ocean today.
1: <laughs> we are. We're very, 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 very far north on the island of Ireland.
0: Yeah. And as it turns out, we're actually just off the coast of Scotland. Wow. Some yeah. place.
1: Where
2: are we? We are um, six miles off Ballycastle and 17 or 18 miles from the Mull of Kintyre.
0: OK, so that voice you just heard is of Kate Burns and she's on Rathlin Island.
2: The island is... Um, But eight eight miles long but shaped like a boot and not a mile wide in any one place
0: She is the lady behind Islander Rathlin Kelp which is one of two of Ireland's only commercial kelp farms. Now she both seeds farms, processes and sells kelp products for food service
1: And she is such a busy lady I mean she completely debunks that vision of island life being relaxed and slow paced because for her she was up to 90 Mm,
0: Yeah, yeah She's super busy. I mean, she runs the lab, she manages the the fishing boats, she runs her production facility, and they also market the brand of Islander Rathlin kelp.
1: Yeah, but before we get into that, we should actually find out what exactly is kelp, because there are many seaweeds out there. So what is it and why is it different?
2: And kelp is very often if there's like a low tide and you see these kind of big brown stalks and what look like leaves Mm. um, uh, um, above the, the water, that is kelp. Um, mm-hmm. the kelp comes in, there's a number of species because so, for example, the sea spaghetti that sometimes you get the long stringy stuff, um, mm-hmm. that's the kelp as well. Um uh so we have I mean we have four main kelps. We have the sea spaghetti, we we'll have the kelp, which is most common, which is the stuff you'll see as they say with its kind of big leaves and fronds sticking above the surface. Um mm-hmm. uh and then we have alaria, and alaria doesn't grow much down the east coast because it's a subarctic species, but it grows um, uh, particularly in the west and in the north coast Alaria is atlantic kami, and everybody of course has heard of kami in the food world mm-hmm. um so uh, Alaria grows well it's a subarctic species so it likes cold water it likes rough ground that's hence it doesn't really grow in the irish sea and then we have sugar kelp saccharina latissima um, and uh, that would again be one of the most uh, popular kelp kelps for farming so um
0: and, and yeah. you guys just farm one type of kelp or, or? We farm
2: laminaria digitata, the big one that you'll see with its yes. head poking above the water. And we farm sugar kelp. And the, okay. they're both for two different types of two different types of product, a food product. Okay. So, um...
0: so a major part of how Kate's business works is the natural perfection of where she is, Rathlin Island. So it's right up at the beginning of a very... Narrow funnel from the cold Atlantic Sea that floods into the Irish Sea.
2: Probably the strongest tides in Ireland are here. Wow! It's, wow! And for all people who all boat the boating fraternity, it's notorious, you know. So,
0: so Rathlin Island basically has some of the strongest tides across the whole of the country. And what this means is that the waters here are kind of flushed and purified several times a day.
1: And it's these fabulous conditions which are perfect for farming kelp. So they grow these on ropes which reach down into the unusually strong currents around Rathlin. And it's the strength of the tides which keeps the temperature at a constant and provides the nutrients for the kelp to flourish.
2: Nobody farmed seaweed in Ireland until very recently. Certainly Rathlin Rathlin was a huge place for harvesting seaweed, which of course is a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, seaweed was the main cash crop here uh dating back during the napoleonic wars it was um uh, i think it was worth something like 50 pounds a ton processed you know where they used to burn it It, it, and then it was harvested right until like many other places in ireland it was wild harvested until just get clear the noise there until about the 1940s and
1: then
2: when we started up again but we decided to farm it instead of wild harvesting
1: and what were mm. people wild harvesting for? Was it for food or for other reasons?
2: No, I mean, they always ate the seaweed here, like everywhere else in Ireland. You know, mm. Ireland is always, has always eaten... Coastal people have always eaten seaweed. Okay. Um, what were they doing uh, for? They, they, it, they gathered it and then they dried it. And you'll have seen, you know, the way the seaweed is dried along the coast, still in parts of Ireland. They mm. dried it and they had these kelp kilns around the shore. Okay. So they after it was dried, they would burn it for about... Okay they'd burn it for about um, 36 hours in these kilns mm-hmm. and after 36 hours it goes through like a it goes through a, ch- a chemical change and, and it starts, so, starts to become liquid mm-hmm. and that was then um, they take the baffle wall out of the end of the kiln and it would it would run would say the kelp kiln would run and what flowed out of it then solidified into these kind of white blocks that looked like marble but were kind of okay. a bit softer okay and so, and that was used then for the production of glass, soap, iodine, and indeed the early the early chemical industry. I mean, the reason it was so valuable during the Napoleonic Wars was that iodine really was the only effective treatment um, uh, for infection um, until recent times. And okay. so it was always it was always used in the battlefield. Yeah. Okay. It was always a market for it in that way. So. Um, uh, the landlord owned shore and all the kelp and therefore owned all everything that was harvested but that's what was used to pay the rents. okay
1: wow well, was, that's was fascinating and today like mm. seaweed is used in so many different things like cosmetics and uh i suppose obviously yeah. as, as a yeah. as an as an edible food as well like what other uh things are seaweed used for today
2: yeah, so obviously we, we, uh, we produce food and that's important actually that we produce food um, in terms of the value and the cost of farming and it being if like, a different model to a, a rough wild harvested product. Yeah, it, it's used for animal feed and there's this interest in it being um, you know, a, a reducer of methane and indeed some work by Queen's University and Chagas have okay. just got some really interesting results for kelp in animal feed and methane reduction. Um, so that's obviously one thing. And the other thing is that people don't pay any heed to, which is really important, is that it is proven, and this is proven, that it reduces the need for antibiotics in oh, livestock okay. where, there's, where there's a risk of infection. Now, antibiotics in animal, in, in the food chain, is one of the huge problems in terms of human health mm-hmm. because we're all getting antibiotics through meat and milk and so on mm-hmm. um, from, from, from the industry, which is, which is a big part of the problem. So um, in terms of, uh, you know, resistance to antibiotics. Um, So there is the kind of animal feed side of it in terms of both the methane reduction, the carbon reduction. And Mm -hmm. and then I suppose if you're thinking about the antibiotics, you know, the biodiversity and human health side. Then as well, um, uh, it can be used obviously as a fertilizer and everybody Mm -hmm. knows that. That's well known. Uh, uh, they, they, it makes a great biofuel because it it, it decomposes in a very consistent in a very consistent way. Mm. Um, so mm. yeah, so it's but, but and and Queens and NUIG um, were part of a big European project a number of years ago. The problem was that they, for them, when they looked at the economics of farming it, mm-hmm. it didn't stack up to farm it as a as a as an energy producing sure. product. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. And then, of course, there's the cosmetic side and there is the food side. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's kind of, um, and then, of course, there's it's valuable just as a carbon sink in itself. Mm-hmm. And although there's no carbon credits for it yet, if that could be established, it would be a bit of a game changer for the industry in Ireland. You know, we would love, for example, to um, to have, you know, biodegradable nets and yes. go out and, and reseed areas that where kelp has been usually trawled. Uh, you know destroyed and then those kelp beds are all destroyed
0: and i have um, i've heard that kelp compared to other other vegetables is much higher in a lot of kind of different aspects and like nutrients like ca- calcium and iron for example
2: yes that's right so it's very high in calcium and iron it's it can be high in protein its protein value varies anywhere between two percent to sixteen percent Whoa. And so um, that's an interesting one because you know again more researchers needed to find out when at what stage has it has it uh, the most protein, and um, it's also high in magnesium and zinc, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know the other side of it is actually high in all the metals, okay. um, and so that is a you know that can be an issue that may be an issue for the future of it as a foodstuff. Uh, mm-hmm. We could help; it helps reduce the the metal content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it's high in iodine. And iodine is good for you in quantities that are. Yes. Yeah. yeah you know. So yeah. you know, that's another challenge for the industry
1: is is making sure that iodine levels are uh, good. are. Mm-hmm. And tell us how can you actually eat this food? Like, could you give us some examples of how um, how we could incorporate more um, kelp into our diet? Or yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I mean, people are kind of look at kelp and just kind of what what's really important for people to kind of think about, you know, people think of seaweed as a smelly thing that's on the shore and it's ghastly and it's yucky. You know, I always say to people, if you, you know, if you dump several tons of carrots or onions on a yeah. beach and left them to rot, the yeah. they'd be bit as smelly yeah. as kelp is. The only reason the kelp is viewed as stinky and smelly is well, a, that kelp is dead and because it's a it's a it's a it's 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 rotting like anything mm. that would rot. Yeah you're smell. looking at
0: a compost heap basically.
2: You're looking at a compost heap on a beach, mm. uh, and that's why it seems smelly. When it's when it's taken straight from where it's growing, whether that's as a, a wild product on the ropes on the rocks, or whether that's from ropes, it has um, uh, it, it's a it's a much kind of finer, you know, lovely, pristine, clean-smelling product. Mm. And here, here, here's the thing, it is not nearly as salty as Dulce. Okay. and if you, you know and if you take sugar if you take any of those kelps um then that they, they are they are a, they are an easier product to eat in a way than dulse uh, of for, mm. for, for, for for listeners inside now um the finest of the kelps in terms of you know not being heavy and thick is is the Alaria escalanta but Alaria is actually a bit dry in the tongue uh so you know very often we'd be recommending if people are going to wild harvest something just for food. What would be the sea spaghetti? A sea spaghetti can't be farmed, so nobody farms sea spaghetti. Uh, It's a lovely lovely product. Um, Just, you know, get it early in the spring. Don't be getting it in August or September, because all the kelps by August and September, in the wild anyway, have kind of, um, uh, they've all... uh,
0: kind of over matured or something yeah
2: they start to get biofile on them and they're kind of okay. you know in other words other things start to grow on them other, ah, okay okay yeah so but i mean see, spaghetti you put it in anything put it in a pot of soup put it in a stir fry um it, all kelps like that when the brown kelps whenever you pour hot water over them they turn bright green and that's mm. great for my kids go down to the beach down to the rocks and see if you can get a piece of kelp with low tide and, and take it home and pour some hot water over it turns green instantly it's cool. kind of like magic so um yeah so these 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 products will turn green uh, as soon as they go in your as soon as they go in your uh, your soup or whatever you're putting them in it sounds brilliant. like a lot of
1: fun
0: brilliant <laughs> so, who's who yeah. eats who eats kelps okay because i know that your business you do quite a lot of export right so yes, yeah. where where do you find that there's a lot of um kelp eaters because i don't know if ireland well, is the top kelp eater would it be no, it wouldn't be. Mm. No.
2: Uh, historically, you know, the aleria um, was eaten uh, like a cabbage. And actually, mm. if you cook a lot of aleria in one, in, in one go, it actually smells a bit cabbage-like. Mm. So it was used as a green vegetable along with potatoes in famine times and so on. Um, no, most of our kelp, we, we make noodles. So we cook the kelp and, and, and shape it, shape it, chop it into like a noodle shape. Mm. Um, and that, that goes mostly, it goes... To the Netherlands and Switzerland and mm-hmm. some goes to England and some goes to Germany so that's kind of our biggest high-end product if you like it's expensive to farm kelp you know that's the thing okay. you can go and gather it off the shore for a lot cheaper than you can mm. to farm it so the thing is when you're farming something like that you have to differentiate what it is
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the thing is when you farm kelp kelp is a much uh, finer product than if it's um than if it's uh, wild harvested
0: right. so
2: uh, when I say finer, I actually literally mean finer. So those big straps of kelp that you get in the beach—you know you get the long stalk and the fingers yes. off. Mm. That, that's that's kombu. If you grow that on the ropes, you don't you don't get a, a thick stalk. You get a thin stalk, which is quite short, and then you just get one sheet, one fine sheet of kelp. You don't okay. get lots of fingers of kelp, and it's because whenever kelp is growing on the rocks, it um, the action forces it to um, uh, to grow in that way. Yes. so you, you could not make the kelp noodles you could not make what we make from wild kelp from, okay. from wild harvested kelp so that's that's a key that's a key piece of it and we also mince it up we cook it and mince it it goes into our kelp pesto and tapenade and relishes and so on so yeah. the other interesting thing about kelp when it's blanched or cooked is it's it's less than um uh, less than two percent salt sodium so this is not a salty product um so it means it lends itself to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So really what you're getting from it is you've got to get a a taste of the sea, a freshness like of the sea, but without any, um. Uh, w- without the salt. It's kind of nearly like the taste of oysters without salt, actually. Mm. Right to,
1: yes. Interesting. It most like. mm. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny because we I was chatting to Jack just before you came on about um, uh, carrageen moss and Jack was saying that he thinks it's a bit salty but I didn't think it was that salty.
0: Well it's not that I think it's salty but I think it makes a panna cotta that has this saltiness or like a kind of a, a, an aroma of the, of the sea that I think is really really nice because salt in sweet I personally think is, is amazing you know Well I mean um, I, no, I
2: think car- carrageen, carrageen needs to be properly soaked mm. I mean really soaked. Mm. Uh, it shouldn't be salty. Uh, if, mm. if you have a panna cotta which is salty then the carrageen hasn't been handled right Ah no, Jack. We need to have a look, at, know, my have <laughs> have a look
0: at my kitchen H. skills. H. It back
1: at his box there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the um, environmental benefits of um, seaweed. I suppose uh, growing and seaweed in general found naturally. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's quite interesting. One of the things about us farming kelp and raffin is that none of us are are farm marine scientists. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did start, I've did i done a lot of work with the fishing industry and the seafood industry, and so I feel like I came at it from that perspective. Um, but um, what we do know is, is that, you know, when kelp grows, and then it finishes growing like any plant, and it dies off, and, and most of it at sea sinks to the bottom of the sea. Kelp doesn't float when it okay. dies. It sinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and down at the bottom of the sea, then it decomposes further, gets covered in silt and sand, and it keeps doing that. And so uh, it locks the carbon um, mm-hmm. in in the sea. So it is, they reckon, I mean, they reckon that of all, I don't know in Ireland, but they reckon in Britain, if all the kelp was in place that was there before humans harvested it, that it would actually compensate the entire carbon output wow. of Britain. Yeah, wow. so that's its that's potential. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to measure something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're doing tree biomass, you know, you can measure your wood and your volumes and your timber and and all the rest. of it. Whereas something which is out of sight. So that's still work that scientists are working on. And but also, obviously, it creates, you know, kelp forests are are habitats. There are habitats for many different species and then obviously within a food chain. Mm-hmm. um you know so we've noticed where our kelp farm is there's been an increase in in some um, uh in in fishing populations just for local people going out to fish obviously they're not fishing in the farm itself because you can't access it it's
1: mm-hmm. um, and that's one
2: of the challenges i think is you know when you're going to farm kelp is you know you can't just put it anywhere and where you do farm it then becomes difficult for anybody else to use because it's covered with ropes
1: OK, OK. Yeah. That's wonderful to see the increase in uh, fish population, though, directly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I've also heard, Kate, I might be wrong, but I've heard that it protects against foul weather as well, against storms, that, um, that a seaweed farm will break, break waves as they, as they come in and protect the shoreline. Is that true?
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, we, we've never, you know, obviously where our kelp farm is, we're not particularly concerned with the shoreline because you couldn't get to it anyway. It's the bottom of cliffs. Mm -hmm. um uh but it's an interesting interesting one that and i think it's probably true um i think that's probably true but i must actually mention that to to the lads
0: (laughs) but i where i heard it from was that there was someone through i think it was a podcast i listened to actually um about somewhere up near boston and it was during one of these hurricanes that came in and there was a particular stretch of coastline that had a, a big kelp farm on it and that part of the coastline suffered way less damage than everywhere on either side of it um yeah. and this particular kelp that's atlantic farmer sea
2: farms that's atlantic sea farms it's quite interesting because that's i worked in, in new england from mm-hmm. 2009 to 2012 and that's where i came across the first kelp farming okay there. And then okay. I brought those folks over and they trained our folks here in Rathlin uh, in the lab how to cultivate
1: kelp.
0: Amazing. Wow.
1: Okay. <laughs> so so when was it actually that you started the company? Because let's let's learn a little bit, of, bit more about Islander um, kelp. When yeah, did you start the company and who works with you and
2: yeah, how does that so all I, come together? Yeah. So, well, I actually registered the company in 2014. We got our license in 2015 and we started trading in 2015. Um so the first, though, it's fair to say until tw- in 2018, it was kind of nearly purely all R&D, although we got enough sales mm-hmm. to break even. Um, oh. Our license only took six months to get up Real, here. Brilliant. Really, really quick yeah. process. And the Department of the Environment were very, they're very excited. They're very keen to see this uh, mm. project uh, work. So because they knew it was at a, a worst benign. nine um in terms of the environment mm. so raffin's a marine conservation zone so um there's lessons in that for the department mm. of the marine um or DACAM as it is um marine licensing division which i just i because i've done a lot of work with guys in the south and we supply seeded lines for kelp farming mm-hmm. the
1: mm-hmm. folks in, in the so south seeded lines there it's like a it's like a kelp nursery is that what you have yes is it? It
2: is. we have a kelp, we have a kelp nursery yes with tanks and we grow baby kelp plants and then we transplant it to ropes at sea. Brilliant. Okay. okay,
0: so like a ready-to-go rope that other kelp yeah, but- farmers can kind of land in, and and then I think I also read or maybe Jolene mentioned it to me that that way then you can ensure that it's an organic supply.
1: That
2: is because we farm the the lab that we cultivate on the island is 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 organic. Yes, and mm-hmm. so um, it's one of the challenges actually for kelp nurseries or kelp labs is is. What you call the nutrient feed that has to go into the tanks
0: mm-hmm. because
2: there's no no nutrient feed in being used currently in europe which is organic okay immediately as soon as you start to cultivate your kelp your so kelp farming it means that wild kelps wild kelps are being sold as organic and farm kelps can't which is kind of not right we, yeah. Developed, yeah. we developed we developed an organic feed um for for kelp ourselves with a company,
1: but okay. I'm not going to talk too much about that. There's a bit of IP around. There. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough,
0: fair enough.
1: So how how does it work? So you you have your nursery, you grow your the start of your kelp, you bring it out underneath the cliffs. How long does it take to grow? So the kelp the kelp
2: plants we grow in the nursery to they're about two millimeters long. Okay. And here's a wee, here's a few fun, fun facts about kelp. We get the spores off the kelp because we've got spores on it. Ripe right, spores on it. And we, um, uh, we grew that for, sorry, there's been Laurie coming by here now, <laughs> on the other
0: side, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, it's a very busy island for 149 people, I feel like well, all of them are sum- out and about today. <laughs> Summer
2: Summertime, listen, uh, everybody just works seven days a week in the summertime, yeah. just, you know, the winter's long. Yeah. Anyway at least we'll have a bin lorry we didn't used to and uh, (laughs) very very exciting having a bin
0: lorry
2: (laughs) yeah anyway i'm not telling you what used to happen with the rubbish but anyway um yeah so we get the spores and we we clean them there's a particular thing you do to clean them and then we we put them in a fridge at four degrees between sheets of paper okay and you you leave them overnight and then the next day you pop them in you pop them in sterile seawater at about 12 degrees and with any mm-hmm. luck they all hatch and mm-hmm. the really, 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 really fun thing about kelp um, hatchlings is that they are zooplankton for 24 hours and they're male and female and swim about. Yeah. Uh, oh uh, <laughs> God. It's, it's an insane thing. It really is insane. So, um, so you look at them through a microscope and you're kind of looking for you know tw- there's like cell counting chamber in the microscope so you're looking for about sort of 25 of these wee boys and girls all swimming about and then we you know we release those into the tanks so where we've got tubes with seed with, with lots of string wound around it but you know when you when you when you do a release onto one onto one spool of string you know, you're talking about a, a million little kelp spores released obviously you don't want a million to settle but obviously a million doesn't because okay. that doesn't happen in nature but anyway so we grow it there in the tanks then for Go out in the tanks then for um, about thirty days. Okay,
0: okay so it's about quite-
2: thirty days, and then um, uh, and, th- and then we take it back to sea, and we've got these coils of rope. And it's a bit of a complicated p- process to explain how the, the the string gets transferred to the ropes, but it does. It gets transferred to ropes and um, at, at the farm, and then we usually do that between September and January. Mm-hmm. And then, and uh, for the following year's growth, for the following
1: year's harvest. Okay. okay. And how long does it take for the typical um, kelp to grow from when you've put it in the water to harvesting? Yeah, yeah.
2: And um, if you seed if you see the rope in January, it'll pretty much have caught up with the rope that you seeded in September.
1: Okay.
2: By by June, but okay. um. Now the kelp ropes, the kelp on the ropes that hasn't been harvested, would be about five meters long. Wow. Um, wow. At, uh, yeah, it'd be 16 kilos uh, 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 a meter.
1: And a I kelp. bet you that's quite a challenge to actually take that out of the water because I saw this magnificent video on your website. Where yeah. You were reaching over the side of the boat and drawing up this massive piece of kelp. It was like going on like mermaid's hair for yeah. meters that's and right. meters and meters, like quite yeah. magnificent to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what are you actually making out of uh, your kelp at the end of the day? So we're making kelp noodles and we mm. also make a,
2: a stock, which like, goes into sauces and soups. And we make um, uh, the kelp then for, um, uh, for minced kelp, which goes into pesto, a tapenade, relish and a salsa verde. So those are the only retail products that we do, those, those mm-hmm. jars of those products. And really, we don't really push retail. Retail is a hard business to be in. We're mm. a small island with limited facilities. So our business model from day one has been to supply food manufacturers with high-quality kelp. The mm. challenge is that very few food manufacturers are using kelp. Okay. They'd like to, but it's a very um, – it's difficult. It's an inconsistent product, kelp. So, you know, it varies. It reflects where the environment it grows in. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you grow it in a polluted area with lots of heavy metals, um it will contain lots of heavy metals Mm -hmm. Um, you know uh, so you kind of which is kind of great advantage in raffling because of you know the quality of the waters and because it's so tidal and so rough Mm -hmm. um so um but we we do those retail products so there's some but mostly we sell on to large food manufacturers okay so you know and that's the business model you know we're trying because what we are good at is growing kelp Mm. you know
1: we're crap at marketing. You know? <laughs> well, the Neighbour Food Podcast is going to sort all that out for you, Kate. Oh,
2: 400 <laughs> <laughs> emails from people wanting kelp in the kelp but anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I, I mean, what, what I would love to see, because I'd love to see the industry as a whole grow throughout Ireland. What I'd love to see is, um, is kelp used in vegetarian vegan products. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'd love to see it going yeah. into foodstuffs, and in a way that in a way that justifies it's so still it's always going to be expensive. So if the food world out there is looking for cheap, cheap seaweed products. Mm-hmm. You you'll not get them.
0: Is there anything in particular that you're excited that might be coming up with with islander Athlone kelp that you'd like to share with us?
2: There's a couple of things I wanted mm-hmm. to add to yeah. it actually, just and important. So we we employ seven people. Um, yeah, so I mean, and and we employ them all year round, although in winter um, it tends to be reduced days and so on. So we're trying to make this a profession. We're not into bringing in cheap labour mm-hmm. to do the processing. You know, the processing, the processing takes time mm-hmm. and it costs money. And that's mm-hmm. just that. And the idea that, you know, to drive down the price of food, we pay people less mm-hmm. and bring in cheap labour is mm-hmm. abhorrent to us. And, you know, we think that... Endless push to drive down food, mostly driven by supermarkets and competition yeah. with each other, has been mm-hmm. hugely destructive, hugely destructive, uh, you know, to agriculture and 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 in many ways you know, the environment and so on. We also are commit, convinced that marine innovation is not just for Siemens and wind power, which is all wonderful stuff, and we're all hugely in support of it. But you know, marine innovation needs to be relevant to small mm-hmm. local communities. So we need to find ways. I mean, an algae seaweeds mm-hmm. is the obvious one. So I just do want to say that that um, but you know, all the money that's been spent on research, seaweed research, and there's virtually nothing been spent on helping us, mm-hmm. the industry,
0: get it
1: to uh, market. Get it to market. Yeah. And it's and so it's, important.
2: It's, yeah, and it's because yeah, there's not nothing has come through okay. north or south to really. To really help shift the dial in that, you know, we're on our own. And so, you know, there's just like running a lab, running boats or sorting mm-hmm. stuff at sea and uh, trying to process and pack, run a business. And on top of that, we're supposed to get out yeah. into the marketplace, you know, and, and small food businesses really struggle with the multi-layered, if you like, requirement of mm-hmm. being in that world. So... Mm-hmm.
0: interesting point to leave it on anyway. it and um, yeah and I think it's not the first time I've heard it from, from anyone who's doing something a little bit Definitely off the wall not, in, no. in, yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah so that's it from this week's Neighbour Food Podcast we hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Islander Kelp and you can find out more at islanderkelp.com I'm Jolene Cronin and
0: I'm Jack Crotty and uh, yeah this is the Neighbour Food Podcast thank you so much for listening if you could help us by giving us a review for this podcast, wherever you listen to it, or sharing the podcast out yourself to help us get more listeners. It's actually amazing. We we have a lot more listeners than we thought we would have had, no?
1: And we love getting feedback. So thank you to all the people who sent us DMs and emails. Write us a review. We'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye.